I only know one way. That's the Padre way. I'm proud as heck to be a San Diego Padre. I played for one team. I played in one town. Smith is ready. Win waiting to pitch. There's a drive. Right center field. Base hit. And there it is. Ho-ho, doctor. You can hang a star on that, baby. A star for the ages for Tony Gwynn. Number 3,000. Broadcasting from America's finest digital studios, this is the 5.5 Podcast. Today, the guys will talk with John Connor from Mad Friars. They'll talk about jinxing no-hitters, and they'll talk about how Brian Mitchell fucking sucks. Here are your hosts, Danny Ortiz and Eric LeBoo. And welcome back, everybody, to the 5.5 Podcast. We're back after a week off. Eric fixed the mic, so hopefully... I am not uh, ringing in your brain as we speak. Welcome back, Eric. Hey, thank you very much. And I'm so sorry, everyone, for the sound quality on the last one that was not in the car. It was, it was awful, and that was all my fault. So Yeah, I couldn't listen to myself talk. That's how bad I was. So I apologize. I'm sorry. Uh, but anyways, we are back. It has been an eventful couple of weeks in Padre Land, which we'll touch on. But uh, we're going to open it up with a big bang. We have John Conniff, the overlord of Mad Friars. He is with us to open the show. Welcome, John. How goes it? Good. It's great to talk to two officially MILB credentialed reporters. <laughs> yeah, I need to put that in my Twitter handle. Yeah, shout out. We, we appreciate you helping out with that uh, now that they were uh, big league. So uh, Kevin, of course, big leaguing us. So we figured instead of going to the bottom of the barrel of Mad Friars, uh, we get the man who runs the show, the face that runs the place. How's, uh, how's the Mexican food now that you're back in D.C.? <laughs> Not good. I don't know about the face that runs the place. You know, my wife always tells me I have a... Well, let's talk about Mad Friars, not the house. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe maybe the face who runs the place for Mad Friars, considering how those other five guys look. So, I can, in the limited, <laughs> the limited pool, I can see that. Yeah. Definitely okay. the Derek Jeter frontman of the ownership group. There. So, yeah. yeah. Everything's looking good. So, uh, you spent uh, what a couple of weeks out in El Paso to open up the season. What are your uh, What are your biggest takeaways so far? If you want to talk about your uh, your trip there. Well, if I if I was a couple weeks, it'd be like three fifty right now. So I was there for four days. <laughs> oh, oh maybe it's been a couple weeks. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, the most interesting thing is it's kind of a finally a group where they don't really have a whole bunch of minor league free agents. All five of the starting pitchers are homegrown. Uh, the two big guys that were out there that we can talk about was Eric Lauer, who's going to start tonight in the background of our show, and uh, Luis Urias. Yeah, so with uh, with Lauer, because he's starting tonight, the game got pushed back to 625 for uh, weather reasons. Um, I guess it's really, really cold. But um, he's making his big league debut in about 30 minutes. What can we expect from Eric Lauer? We saw a little bit of him in the spring. It looks like right. he has decent command. But what can Padre fans expect going forward? Well, I got to see Lauer's um, first start in Tri-Cities in 2016. And I saw Lucchese the next game. The thing that stood out about Lauer then was he has really good fastball command. You know, he's a lefty. He's going to throw between 90 and 93. Has a good hard slider. But the big thing which he improved upon really since last year and in spring training that impressed the Padres was he's much more consistent with his changeup and he's much better with his curveball. And when I saw him on Sunday, that was the big thing with him is you saw a lot of guys hitting off their front foot. Because not only was he able to hit all four quadrants of the plate, but, you know, he was able to, you know, really have a lot of change of speed. 
Yeah, and that's good, and that's that's obviously what he needs to uh, perform at the at the higher level when he comes up in the major leagues. Um, we're here again, John Conniff with Mad Friars. John, um, a lot is being made of Lauer making his debut um, in the altitude up at Coors Field if this game ever gets off with their uh, weather reasons. Coming from the PCL, do you see that as being an issue for him? I know he came out and said, hey, you know, if I want to stick around with this team, I'm going to have to pitch here eventually. Do you think it makes a difference having his first start to, to pop that cherry, so to speak, being <laughs> – uh, be up there in Coors Field. Does that make any impact on him? Been influenced by H.J. Preller, I can tell. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, he's from Ohio. You know, he's, he made that point. And also, the one thing about Lauer, I think it's interesting when you when you get to meet him is you know he graduated from Kent State in three years with a degree in finance and like a three point eight GPA. So he's if he gets beat tonight, it's going to be you know, because he just didn't have his stuff, not because he was intimidated by the circumstances. Most of the, the people that have been around him say the most impressive thing about Lauer is he has a really, you know, sense of calm. He knows exactly what he's doing out there. And he's, he's you know, he has kind of a good sense of humor, too. Um, I, yeah, I like Lauer a lot. I've always been a much bigger fan of his than many of the national uh, ranking guys have been. Yeah, it <clears> sounds <throat> like uh, the young man has ice water running through his veins, which is exciting. It sounds like he's got good composure, good makeup. Um, going forward, because now, you know, Lucchese, we, I think we all knew Lucchese was going to be the first in line. Um, now that Lauer's coming up, I think we felt like he'd be second. Who do you have long-term as the higher upset at this point? Because I feel like Lucchese was borderline reliever until last year. It looks like he make a big step developmental-wise, and now they look neck and neck. Who do you think has the brighter future for the Padres, Lucchese or Lauer? Hard to say because they're both really different pitchers. I mean, Lucchese's a couple inches taller, and Lucchese relies on you know deception and a lot of movement in the zone. Very charismatic, Lauer, also, Mr. Lucchese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lauer, as I said, you know, he's more of a guy that really hits certain spots, more precision, and then you know he relies on a change of her slider to get people to ex- expand uh, expand the zone. You know, it's it's hard to say right now. I mean, I pro- probably. If you want to go this way, you know, Lauer got $2 million out of the draft, and uh, Casey got 100000 So maybe people look at Lauer as a little higher upside, but things may have changed in two years. That makes a lot of sense. You know, as, as Padre fans, we're, we're so psyched about this hot talent lava and, and all yes. the uh, pieces that are starting to come up for us here. So we had Lucchese first, now Lauer. Um, what I'm kind of wondering is, is who's next? Like, in your opinion, who's, who's the next guy to get, a, to get a shot, whether it's a bigger name prospect or maybe a little bit lower on that totem pole? Who do you see getting the shot after Lauer, since I, I'm already anxious to see who else that's going to be? You know, I would have said Knicks at the beginning of the year, but he's been really hurt. His groin's still bothering him, so that's why he's still unextended right now. Quantrill, I think, is just starting to get really his command back. Um, you know, David Jay thinks it's going to be Matt Strom. That's his choice because he's already on the 40-man, and they could stretch him out. Yeah, another a guy I kind of like who's in, in the mix is a right-hander, Brett Candy, who's had a you know a couple good starts. With El Paso, he's kind of a version of Lauer Light, only right-handed. He has really good fastball command. They're trying to get him to throw his changeup and curve a little more, which he's been doing this year. But he's a really fun guy to talk about on pitching too. So I kind of, you know, Candy's a guy. He's kind of underrated, but he's kind of a dark horse, I would say. That's good. I mean, at least they have depth, right? Because I think, oh yeah, yeah. The idea is that 
Uh, I, th I think people personally, as much as I liked him when they got him, I forgot about Strom because <laughs> we yeah. haven't really heard or seen much of him. Um, and then you mentioned Kennedy, who you know could come up, and then of course uh, the other arms down there. In terms of what you saw on your your four day trip down there, um, what was your biggest surprise in terms of performers, guys that you didn't have on your radar when you got there, but maybe put themselves. Uh, in the limelight a little bit for Matt Fryers and for yourself personally. Well, one thing we've talked about a little bit, but I was impressed, even though the numbers don't show it right now, was I liked what I saw from Fermil Reyes, who we've talked about, just mainly because he just had a really good plate discipline. He wasn't chasing anything really outside the zone. And, you know, Rod Barajas thought the same thing. And that I think he's going to end up having a big year. The guy they were talking about a lot down there was uh, – was Eric's favorite guy, Javi Garrett, because he went at <laughs> about 375, but it's gone down since then. When you watched him, it was funny. Was It seems like every pitch he was drilling, they were throwing him a fastball, and he can hit that. But you can ask our friend Kevin Charity. I mean, Kevin and I watched him one time at Lake Elsinore, I think for about four plate appearances, and he got nothing but change-ups and breaking pitches. I think he may have touched the ball maybe once. It was just whiff, whiff, whiff. And Kevin is just right behind the plate going, throw him a changeup. I mean, he just had the picture. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's improved a little bit. He has a little bit better plate discipline. But if you read the interview we did with Rod Barajas, you know, Rod made a good point about he kind of has one swing for every pitch. If someone throws him a fastball, you know, he can't hit that. He's got a really quick bat. But he can just swing over a lot of changeups, and he just has to start – recognizing pitches a little bit better but you know as always the defense is really there with him i just i have a tough time seeing him ever going to be able to hit yeah i i hear that 100 percent. you know about about reyes out there i do find it interesting because he's off to a good start this year but mm -hmm. um it, like what's the future for him because you have you have a, a log jam in the outfield already and then you introduce reyes who's t what t correct me if i'm wrong 22 years old and he's doing well i mean there does he force a door to be open is he traded what, what do you think happens with him you know, it just depends what he does this year. I mean, that's why, you know, we kind of get into the whole, uh, you know, Tatis argument about what he is or isn't doing. We kind of just got to let it play out. You know, if, if Reyes has about 35 home runs, which he could have in El Paso, and then it depends what the other guys do. So, you know, and that's what kind of Rod Barajas made a point. He said he thinks, you know, from milk and force a lot of people to make some decisions this year. You know, we'll have to see. Yeah. Yep. Very. That's that's very interesting. I'll be I'll be interested to see how that how that plays out. Uh, we were kind of talking before we started recording here about my favorite prospect, other than Tatis, and that's our boy Luis Urias. Urias. Yeah. When when you're out there in El Paso, you were a wet blanket for him. But then once you left, <laughs> once you left, he he heated up, man. So I mean. Uh, there's one person, only one person, that's Roy on Twitter, who's saying, hey, maybe we should just cool our jets and let him uh, let things play out as they will in AAA. What do you think about Urias? Is he continuing? Like, is, is he going to come up soon? Are we going to see him? Or, or what's going on with that? Well, you know how I got to pronounce Luis Urias's name so well was anytime I'd go on a radio show and I would say Urias or Urias or like that, I'd get an immediate text from David J going, you fucking idiot. So that helped me <laughs> that really. That doesn't sound like David J at all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So uh, I think he needs a little bit more time. I mean, I don't think it's going to harm him to be there till around June or something like that. Let him go around the PCL once. Because you see a lot of guys come up from the Texas League. And before they get around the system, they put up good numbers. 
their second time around, they slow down a little bit. A good example was, I think, in, in 2015, they caught up Austin Hedges, you know, after one month in the PCL where he had had, like, two really bad years. Oh, that was, yeah, that was 2015. Yeah. 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 And then Bill Sinnerich, well, he's proven everything that he could. Well, no, Bill, it's, it's been three weeks. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, give him a little bit of time. I don't think there's any really big rush. Um, but, yeah, I think he's eventually going to be up. I think the tough things for for all of us that are Padres fans is when we see Lucchese kind of struggling, you know, it's okay because we think he's going to be part of the future in this. And it's not the same way when you see a Suahe or Spangenberg. You know, you want to see the guys that are going to be in place, hopefully for a future that'll, um, that are out there performing for us. But at the same time, we have to let, we can't really rush people right now. So I think that's one of the problems with a lot of people on Tatis is, you know, he's just 19. He's in, he's in the, Double A, you know, give him some time. <laughs> Youngest player in Double A, also is that right. is that right? I, it's close. It's not it's, very it's, close. Yeah, it's either like the youngest or the second. Yeah, it's it's in there. Yeah. Now so, I have it on reliable sources that his sample size is growing enough, Santis, <laughs> that we should be worried about bus potential, John. I have good sample. I have good good sources on this. I just want to let you know. It's yeah. definitely a, a consideration. Eat it, Marver. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, uh, you brought it up. I'm going to go ahead and out our boy David J because he's known as like the prick, right? The asshole. So right. we went to uh, we were up there in Lake Elsinore. Uh, for our MILB credential debut. And then yes. we were up there, and Danny and I walked in, and uh, we I told Danny, I was like, dude, I feel like we're trespassing. Because <laughs> yeah, we, we, were, long, there, right? yeah, we yeah. were there before everything. And I, I DM'd Dave, and I said, hey, uh, can you show us around? Give us the, hey, we don't know what the hell we're doing here tour. And he was the nicest guy. Like, he showed us around, talked to us the whole oh, game. He was really, really cool. So Dave was really helpful. Sorry if I'm outing him right there. Uh, but I was like, man, because I met him before just in passing. But I'm like, yeah. how can a guy who's known to be such a jackass be such a cool guy to Danny and I? I, I thought it was pretty cool. But um, where I'm going with this is Lake Elsinore. And a guy that they just got on the mountain yesterday was Michelle Baez. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. He had a really mm-hmm. good outing yesterday. Not a lot of strikeouts, not a lot of walks, but zero hits in five innings. I mean, what's uh, what, what do you got on Baez this year? Yeah, it's weird. Dave and I both saw him in spring training last year. And he was kind of all over the place. And, you know, we liked what we saw, but, you know, we thought his fastball command was a little bit off. And then in June, David went out to see the new draft picks and um, drove out to uh, to Peoria. And he texted me back. He goes, hey, Baez look like, looks really good. Like he kind of figured something out. And then when I saw him in Fort Wayne, I mean, he was just dominating. I mean, you guys still play. I mean, if you're facing a guy who's six foot eight and throws right over the top and the ball is coming down at such an angle, it's nearly impossible to square up. It's like Chris Young with heat. It's it's like what? Chris Young with heat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, he has some serious heat. So his secondary has got to kind of improve a little bit because he doesn't have to use him that much in Fort Wayne. But that's someone I would definitely get out there to see. And let me tell you one other thing about David J. since uh, Eric brought it up. <laughs> I hear he's a photojournalist on the side. <laughs> not for our side. She can ask him for which one. Yeah, um, not for us. I hear he's uh, in one of our, uh, some of our competition. He might be a photojournalist. Mood lighting. Moving on. Yeah, you can ask him about that when you have him on. So <laughs> when I was on the Darren Smith show, they asked me about uh, Josh Naylor, about if he thought he could play left field and how athletic he was. And I couldn't say that because the full conversation, because Darren has a family show, but right. since this is not, okay. So when I was, about a year ago, we were out there, 
And we know some of the Padre guys pretty well. And we're talking, we're looking at Naylor playing, and David's kind of going, I mean, really? Is he a first baseman? Because we saw him like botch a couple easy pop-ups just on the side because he just couldn't get over there. And this one guy kept going, who's a guy we know pretty well, which would be one of our sources, <laughs> kept saying, uh, well, he's more athletic than you think. God, he's, you know, he's really more of an athletic player than you see. So about the third time he said this, I mean, of course, the level to annoy David's not really a high bar. So <laughs> David says to the guy, he goes, you know what? He goes, kind of fairly athletic for a middle-aged bureaucrat. But at the end of the day, it's like comparing the nutritional value of Fruity Pebbles to Cocoa Puffs. Who gives a shit? <laughs> So that's kind of where the athletic part I always think about when uh, people ask me about I, that comes up. I thought it was a good line, so I gave yeah, him. That was a great line, but no shot, right? I mean, he can't he can't go to left field, right? I, I, I can't see it. Oh, He's you know, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to go out there in June. You guys should have Marcus on the show. He was out in San Antonio. I'm not sure if he was in left field or Marcus saw him, but. Um, you know, both Dave and I have never been that high on Naylor. A couple of the guys, and I think Kevin liked him a little bit more, and Ben Davey liked him a lot. That's one of the reasons we all do six uh, of our own individual rankings. So when one guy's up on another one, we can sit there and just unload on everybody else and talk about him. <laughs> so, you know, Ben has uh, been talking quite a bit about how much he liked Josh Naylor. And, you know, right now Ben was right. I mean, I didn't think Naylor had that type of power in him. You'd see it in BP, but even the guys in San Antonio were kind of shocked at just how well he's been playing. And when, when, um, how did that come about? Like with the power, everyone always says, "Oh, well, uh, he has power, but it doesn't translate into the games." And he started off the year hot as hell. I mean, what, what does, what attributes to that? What makes that happen? Or is it just you know, luck? You guys got to have Marcus on because I haven't seen. I, I mean, I saw him in spring, and I, I still have the same opinion, but. I mean, they said he's not missing his pitches. I mean, he's and who is it? The best guy at the line on was um, our friend Mike Sager, who's the play-by-play guy for the missions. He said something like in it's about a week ago in 24 plate appearances, you know, he's hitting 500 with two strikes. Wow! And so he's he's got an idea of what he's doing up there, you know. So we'll see. You know, Austin Allen's also been really hot too. Wow. Yeah, we'll see on Naylor because I know a big knock on him wasn't that he can't hit is that maybe he was a little too take what you give me instead of attacking and leverage count. So maybe he turns it around, but, um, I like that stat make, about the two strike. Yeah. Two strike that's average. Good, actually really good. I mean, it's, he's aggressive, but he's not, you know, punching out. So it just makes the outfield slash first base log jam that much more interesting. Um, as we, uh, move towards competitive baseball in San Diego, John, mm-hmm. in, in your time in El Paso, what was the biggest disappointment? And, you know, going out there, had a guy on your radar, and kind of left with maybe a different opinion, maybe mixed feelings compared to when you showed up. Is there a player that fits that role? No, you know, not really that I can really think of offhand that really kind of disappointed me too much. I mean, I guess I thought Kyle Lloyd would be a little bit better in the start I saw him in. You know, he, could, he couldn't get his, uh, his sinker working well to set up his fork ball, but he came back and bounced back for the next start. Yeah, I mean, it's too... You know, it's too early to get too high or too low. I mean, something, you know, we were kind of discussing um, before we started taping was, you know, the comments that uh, Barry Bloom was made on Tatis. And, <laughs> and and I always think, you know, it'd be like turning it around. I mean, 
if I went out to Fort Wayne and I saw some guy who was like 23 who was hitting 240 with like a 285 on base percentage, and that day he goes, you know, four for four and it's two home runs, has like seven RBIs, and I come back and go, hey, mark it down. This guy's going to be in San Diego. I mean, guess what I just saw? One game. This is what it means. It's kind of the converse of what of what Barry said. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick on one guy who was really disappointing. El Paso's been playing pretty well. Definitely. Well, yeah, see, that's uh, that kind of looking at reverse like that. That's the kind of insight that you get on madfires.com, ladies and gentlemen. So that's why uh, we appreciate you having on, John. Uh, hey, before before we let you go here, one more thing. Um, he's just coming back throwing bullpens. What's going on with Mackenzie, Mackenzie Gore in that blister? Do you got anything on that? No, I, I think it was mainly precautionary. You know, one thing I was a little surprised they sent him out so, so quick, but when I talked to uh, Sam Ganey, the Padres director of player development, at the beginning of the year, they thought he could handle the innings, but they still might be a little cautious. I mean, I'm not sure they want to send a guy who's 19 out there and have him throw about 150 innings this year. So anything that is the slightest, you know, discomfort, they're just going to take it pretty easy on him. I I still think he's going to end up in some place unless he gets hurt or something really weird happens. I think he ends up in double a by the end of the year. Really? Do you think he skips Elsinore? I think there's a good chance, yeah. Son of I mean, a bitch. <laughs> no, I mean, get shafted, damn it. <laughs> I think when you look at him, is like, you know, I think I talked to him with you guys or in another show, is that, you know, you look at his stuff, and I mean, it's just going to blow anybody away in A ball. So as long as he gets stretched out and goes through a lineup a couple times, I don't think he's going to be challenged in high A because there's not that much a difference between, despite what our friend, uh, Marver says between high A and low A, that's about the lowest, the two closest uh, minor league groups. So I think he could end up in double A, but we'll see. I don't know if that's de- that's definitely a guess. Oh, okay. On my oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. hey, that makes sense. Hey, John, we appreciate you having on. You know, one thing uh, after after we're done here that we're going to get into, I want to get your opinion on just quickly. Uh, two questions. One with uh, Tyson Ross, the no hitter that he had going. Uh, mm-hmm. his pitch count was really high going into the ninth. So one, uh, would you leave him out there? And two, broadcasters, do you care superstition during the game if they mention that there's a no-hitter? Should they? Yes or no? What's your take on that? I probably – I think it's awful tough to take a guy out on a no-hitter. I mean, I think you should. But I, I just – I think those happen so rarely it's tough to do. As far as them saying a no-hitter, I mean, I really don't care about that stuff. But then again – if I got a ride on the plane with all those guys and I kind of got to respect their wishes, you know, and also there's so many ways you can say it. Oh, so far, everyone should check their scoreboard. <laughs> it's been a really momentous night. There's been no runs. <laughs> you know, you can get around and it's kind of cute how you can say it. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think that big. Uh, I think Dave and Jeff had a pretty good uh, podcast on that. I, I enjoyed listening to them talk on that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, hey, we appreciate you coming on, John. Everyone check him out, madfriars.com. Um, he's on Twitter, at madfriars. Uh, got anything else that you want to throw out there before we let you go, John? No. Our colleague Kevin Charity said a great line. He said, put the coffee down for one day a month. Give us a shot for about five bucks, and we'll take a shot. Thank you Even very much. I did it. Even I did it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that was big. Hey, we even got – did I pronounce the name right? Mesere, who is really a cheap son of a bitch. And- <laughs> And I mean, he even subscribed, and he had that great line and said, "Man, if I'm subscribing, buckle up." I mean, that's definitely <laughs> he's a great guy. But hey, 
thank you for your guys' podcast, for having me on and everyone. And uh, I hope you don't hold us against us when we send David J to you at the end of the month. <laughs> oh, we'll see. Not at all. We'll take a look. We look forward to that. Thanks a lot, John. Take <laughs> Thanks, care, John. man. Take care, guys. All right. God, John's so fucking great, dude. He is absolutely amazing. So that was John Conniff of Mad Friar. So a lot of interesting stuff going down in El Paso. Um, the biggest thing I liked is that he didn't really have anything bad to say. No. No, nothing, nothing really bad to say at all, which makes us excited because coming up, I mean, you got all this, um, all these prospects coming up. You got Franchi coming up, making an immediate impact, which we'll get at, we'll get into in a few. But um, it's, it's really exciting, man, to get this next wave of talent coming up and uh, and getting on the board. So um, let's uh, go ahead and uh, re resituate here ourselves in the in the studio, and we'll we'll be right back. All right, everybody, we're back. We had to get uh, resituated here after having the wonderful John Conniff on. So uh, we're going to pick up where we left off and jump right into it. Tyson Ross, of course, had a no-hitter going through, uh, was it seven and two-thirds or something like through that? Through eight? Into oh, the eighth no, inning, No, I'm yeah. sorry, seven and two-thirds, yeah. you're right. He pitched into the eighth inning. Seven and two-thirds, almost had eight no-hit innings. Um, unfortunately, Franchi Cordero missed a 99% probability, probability of line drive hit to him. But Hey, do you uh, think, uh, before we get into that, yeah. so, sorry to cut you off, do you think, uh, I saw your boy, Brian Kenny, say, kill the error, kill the error. Should that be ruled an error, that play on Franchi? My biggest thing with errors is that they're so subjective. There's no hard line for an error, right? And well, I maybe guess, just do like, hey, if it's a sixty percent catch probability or higher. And I they think with Statcast, yeah, I think now that the Statcast era is in play, you can kind of have a better objective for um, errors because before, I think even now, the official score is usually employed by the home team, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. There's obviously going to be some bias there. So if there's a home team, right? The home team guy, if the Padres are in San Diego, they're going to rule that an error on Cordero. Yeah. There's a pretty good shot. 60-40 shot, I think. If you get but a no-hitter that way, does it still mean as much? No, it, it would be it'd be tarnished because it'd be it'd be controversial all of a sudden. So I think if they wanted to implement stat cast and say, hey, per stat cast, you know, this was a 65% catch probability, we're going to go ahead and rule it an error. I would be okay with that because at least it's objective, right? You have like tangible evidence that's comparable to, you know, other catches of similar ilk. Um, so yeah, I, I would I would be okay with that. I don't know about killing the error because I think it kind of cheapens the whole like if it's a routine ground ball to short, the guy should make the play. I don't know how you would categorize that. You know, I don't want to penalize the batter, but at the same time, I don't want to give him, you know, credit for something that should have been an out, right? You know, he had a ground ball right to the shortstop. You should be out. Yeah, I mean, you really should. So. Um, I mean, speaking of of no hitters meaning something, does it make a difference to you if it's um, one guy throwing the no hitter as opposed to a reliever coming in and having a combined team no hitter? Yes. It, I mean, I'd take it, right? Hold on, i got to clear my throat here. Of <sighs> course. Yeah, of course we would take yeah, it. Yeah, I would take it. But it does cheapen it a little bit because... It would be so Padres to get a fucking combined no-hitter. I know we're trying to lay off the F-bombs, but that would be so Padres if they got a combined no-hitter. It would be Padres to throw a no-hitter and lose. That's, <laughs> yeah, where the, uh, hashtag, nothing. that's where the hashtag, that's so Padres, would come in 100%. But yeah. as far as a combined no-hitter, at this point, as Padre fans, because I saw a lot of people um, you know, kind of bitching about it. Like, oh, no, hey, it can't be combined. Hey, we need to take what we can get at this point, right? Like, we took a cycle from Matt Kemp. Yeah, you want a no-no or not? Yeah, exactly. So, 
Um, in my opinion, would I have rather have seen uh, Ross complete it and be one guy to throw a no-hitter? Yeah, of course. But if it happens to be a team no-hitter, if it has to be that way, then so be it. It's still a no-hitter. Yeah. You know, we asked we asked John about this, and, and let's kind of bring that up. So Tyson Ross, we don't have the exact, the exact numbers, but I believe he's in the 120s. I think he's at 127. At 127, if he would have made that last out, if Franchi would have caught that as he should have, he would be going into the ninth inning at 127 pitches. God. If you're Andy Green, if you're the manager of that team, knowing the situation at hand, do you keep him out there to, to throw the ninth or not? This is going to be a really unpopular opinion. Absolutely not. Why uh, not? Because the, the thing with Tyson Ross, and I, we didn't have the podcast back then, but Tyson Ross is injury prone. He has, he has struggled with injuries his entire career. When we got him from the A's, um, which was an absolute hose job of a trade, but when we got him, he was known as an injury prone pitcher. He'd struggle with injuries, struggled staying healthy. Part of that is because mechanically he does not have good pitching mechanics. And he just came off of injury. He was injured when we let him go that full year where he pitched opening day and then was gone, uh, the all-star year. Barely pitched last year. Had, what, thoracic outlets and uh, surgery this year. He is right now our best starter, I believe. So, I mean, obviously you have Joey Fuego. But, you know, other than that, Ross is our best or second best pitcher. He is easily, as it stands, their top trade piece. Because... The reality is they got something for Andrew Kashner. They got something for Fernando Rodney. So if on the Padres, I'm not thinking, okay, we got to go no hitter here. This is, you know, the franchise needs it. You can get a no hitter as a combined no hitter. If it's meant to be, it'll be. It's, it's a completely random, you know, lucky type of accomplishment. I'm not going to hinder the future of the organization. That sounds dramatic, but I'm not going to hinder <laughs> a, a... Is Tyson Ross a part of the future of the organization? No, he's no. not. Which so is, why does it matter? Because to me... Let him throw until his arm falls off. The problem with that is that you let him throw until his arm falls off. We did that the first time. We got absolutely jack shit for him, and it looked awful in the Padres' end because they knew going into 2016 they were not competing. They were not going to be a good team. They did not trade him in the offseason when they should have, when his value was at its highest. They blew him out instead and got absolutely... Eventually non-tendered him and then got nothing for him. This well, is your second chance. Assuming he's healthy and that he is back, assuming he's back, he's not what he was, but assuming he's back, this is your chance to capitalize on a guy's value with zero investment. To me, it's not worth risking injury for an injury-prone pitcher at his age, at this stage of his career, when you can get some talent back for him at the deadline just because you want to have an anomaly of a game that your franchise hasn't had. It's not worth it to me. Well, to your point, what what you've said before in prior shows um, about trading players um, for a piece to get, the final piece to go in the World Series, and you say uh, prospects, was it prospects or temporary flags fly forever? Well, with Tyson Ross, his injury's temporary. He throws a no-hitter. That flies forever for the Padres. Yeah, but... We don't have one. But it's not a flag. It's it's different because you're talking about a World Series, right? I mean, look at, for instance, look at the 98 team and the 84 Aren't we team. the only team that doesn't have a no-hitter? We are. We are the only team that doesn't have a no-hitter. Okay. But to me, that isn't worth it because I would rather not have the no-hitter, take Tyson Ross and trade him and get, you know, maybe a Josh Naylor, a Chris Paddock, um, even an Edward Olivares who they got for Oh, we already have those guys on our team. I know that. (laughs) But what I'm saying is that you take guys who are high-end, high-risk prospects who look like they're going to develop and be valuable pieces that you can either have contribute to the team later or flip as currency to gain better players. I would rather take that risk than risk him blowing out, throwing 150 pitches when he apparently I was you know busy um, I was at the movies actually when he's throwing the no hitter but apparently he was out of gas like he had nothing left hedges I, I was told, he was done yeah hedges I was told was blocking balls left and right so he was he was toast 
So you're going to risk injury on a guy who's clearly fatigued. He's done. He's coming off of injury. He hasn't been healthy since 2015. It's not worth it to me to risk that for a no-hitter when you can maybe get it through the bullpen. And who knows? You know, Eventually, the Padres will have their lucky day and we'll get a no-hitter. It didn't have to be on that day, not at 127 pitches. Especially with all the talent that they have coming up. like We're going to get one eventually. And at the end of the day, a no-hitter doesn't really mean shit. I mean, it sucks that we're the only team in the league to not have one ever yeah. since 1969. But, nice. you know, it's, uh, it's, it's whatever. You know, a part of me feels like I played a small role in him throwing that no-hitter. Do you want to know why? Oh, so here we go. Okay, it's it's no big deal. Tyson Ross and I, we have this, we have the same barber. It's no big deal. The same person cuts our hair. It's it's fine. It's fine. Okay. So I was getting my hair cut last week. I believe it was Wednesday, whatever day it was, and the nice uh, woman that was cutting my hair, which happens to be Drunk Flannery's wife, she says, "Hey, guess who is uh, coming in right after you? The very next appointment." I'm like, "Who?" And she's like, "Tyson Ross." I'm like, "No shit." It's no big deal. It's fine. Okay, we're we're best friends. Um, what the? What about me? So I, <laughs> so I, he was sitting there. He was sitting there as I was uh, getting my hair all done and finished up. And then I stand up and I go over and I see him. I'm like, oh hey. I'm like, hey man, nice to have you back. I shook his hand and then he shook mine. We stared into each other's eyes for like five minutes. And I, you know, I told him. I said, Tyson. I said, be great. That's so terrible because I'm just imagining it in my head. I said, I said, be, I said, Tyson, be great, do great things, Tyson. And you know what he said to me? He said, I will. And then we Did you guys kiss almost. Oh, almost. Huh? After five minutes shaking each other's hands, I I walked away, and that was it. Did you guys uh, lock eyes? You see passion dripping from his lips and ice water in his veins. I'm not sure if it was passion, but it was oh, something there. Yeah. So I, I feel like I played a small part. It's no big deal, guys. It's no big deal. Shut up. Uh, but I feel like I played a small part in that. But, you know, <laughs> I would have loved to have seen him complete that. I really, really would I would have. too. But, but it did sound like he was out of gas. And honestly, even if Franchi catches that ball, he's not going to complete in the ninth inning. I no, think we all know he that. Was at, I looked it up. Uh, baseball reference has a game log uh, for him. And he finished the inning with 127 pitches. So, yeah, maybe he finishes like 124. Well, Andy Green said he was going to pull him regardless. Yeah. That that was going to be the last guy. Andy Green who has been, I feel like, up and down. Like, some days he's worshipped as the greatest Padres manager ever, and then other <laughs> days he's just shellacked because he makes weird player personnel decisions, um, which I don't think are completely him. Right. Um, but he would have been roasted oh, on yeah. Twitter. He, I, can, I can see it now. I can see it now. Just getting roasted and killed. Medi would have been all over him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, would have been a, it would have been an absolute ass-ripping. For Andy Green, had he yanked him. Um, speaking of Eric Lauer, uh, first career pitch, ball low, ninety-one miles. Yeah, I was miles just gonna hour. say. Speaking of ass ripping, we're hoping that's not what Eric Lauer endures <laughs> as he throws his uh, first pitch here. It is thirty-four degrees in, uh, or thirty-six, thirty-seven degrees in Colorado, and it's quite uh, cold. Yeah, very cold. It's only sixty-four at Petco, so yeah. You know, just to give you an idea, Lemayhew's out here with no sleeves, Mister Tough Guy, <laughs> Tough Guy DJ Lemayhew. So going back, going back to that no hitter there. Uh, a lot, a lot was made about how the broadcast handled it. How, in particular, Fox Sports San Diego, Mud and Dawn, and how they wouldn't say no hitter, and it was Posner. Which Posner? God, dude, I'm I'm so over Posner. I don't follow him on Twitter. He just keeps popping. He's up insufferable, in my dude. He's the absolute worst. He'll he'll tell you that your Good opinion idea. doesn't matter, and that the Chargers are still great, and there's still a market for them. He's the worst. Just don't follow him. Um, 
Posner, he was getting on Don and Mud for not saying no hitter, not saying the words no hitter, as if they have a responsibility to let the team and let the viewers know that there's a no hitter going on. For you, we kind of talked to John about it. Um, for you, do you think as a viewer, do you need them to say, hey, there's a no hitter going on? Or are you a superstition guy? What do you think? You know, I'm not a superstition. You know, damn well, I am not a superstition guy. <laughs> hey, I'm all. trying to set it up for you. I pal. know, I know. You're just giving me a nice little soft toss. Um, <laughs> I'm not a superstition guy. I understand. John made a really good point about having to ride back on the plane with those guys. So I can understand out of respect for the clubhouse, the players. Mud, obviously, is an ex-player, played a long time, so he has a different mentality than maybe Orsillo does. I understand not blatantly saying no hitter. So the way I look at it, and, and, and you know, I've, I've lightened up on, on good old Uncle Teddy as of late as uh, he gets into his older years and <laughs> my childhood gets further away, but... I like the way, because Leitner went on the air um, after, you know, the Cordero missed the fly ball and was, like, defending himself, and I, I didn't see a need. The thing is, with, with broadcasters, especially in radio, their job is to tell you what's going on. That's their job. Tell you what's going on, give you insight, give you an overview, because they, you know, in radio, they're painting the picture. In uh, On television, they're just narrating what is essentially a live documentary. So they should mention the line score. But they don't have to come out and say no hitter. Uncle Teddy did it, did it perfectly when he said, Padres, you know, two runs, five hits, no errors, five left on. Diamondbacks, no runs, no hits, no errors, two left on. You know, yeah. we go into the bottom of the six. Oh, hey, we're in the top of the sixth inning. You know, Padres are up 2 nothing. And then, you know, to do that end of the inning recap and to say it in that way, you're not saying no hitter, you're just reading the line score. I think that's just fine because it's their job. That's what they're paid to do. Agler did a great job handling as well because um, the way Agler would do it, he would say, hey, we're through seven innings and uh, only two men have reached base via walk for the Rockies. See, that's good because now you, you know, I mean, it's not as obvious as I, I like the Uncle Teddy, you know, no walks, no hits, no errors, you know, whatever, uh, or no runs, no hits, no errors. But, I mean, that's a good job, too, because if you're paying attention to the broadcast, you'll catch on to it. Yeah. So no no-hitter tonight for Eric Lauer's debut as he just gave up a single to Charlie Blackman. Oh, I wonder if Mud asked, uh, said, uh, he's got a no-hitter. No-hitter <laughs> through a third of an inning. That was great. That was great. You know what? The radio. So radio guys, I think they need to to say it. The, the traditionalist in me, and I don't even know if a traditionalist is the word. You but can't see what the hell is going on. It's not like you can look up the box score if you're driving on the radio. I mean, you shouldn't. You'll get a ticket. But. I can see the people who want them to to say it in some sort. And then I can also see the side where people say, hey, like you can't say it because you're going to jinx it. I realize you think it's stupid, but I mean, there's people out it's there. It's There's people out there that actually believe that. So you, to appease... There's also it, people that believe in Santa Claus. To appease everyone, you need to... You need to I think the way that they handle it on the radio is perfect. Tiptoe around it. On TV, you don't have to say it because they had the box. You didn't watch the game, but on the box score right above, it said no hits through yeah. something, something. It was very clear and very obvious that there was a no hitter going on. So you don't have to verbally say it. And the people that get pissed off about there's so many other things to get pissed off about. Have you seen Brian Mitchell? Yeah, we're going to jump into that in a second. There's but so many things to get pissed off about. Like this, just let it, let it go. Yeah. Let it go. I, I agree 100%. You know, when you're watching the broadcast, again, they're just, they're basically, you know, narrating a live documentary. You can insinuate, oh, you know, Tyson Ross has yet to allow a hit. You're not saying no hitter. You're just reporting what's going on. But it's their job. That's it. At the end of the day, that's their job. You don't like it, put it on mute. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the broadcasters, people mentioning it has zero bearing on it whatsoever. You know, it's... Anyways, and, and guess what? Like all around the league on MLB.com, there's the game, uh, the Padres game that day is lit up in big 
red font. It no says hit no alert. hitter alert. Yeah, it's on you the go ticker. to MLB Network. They check in all the time. Hey guys, there's a no hitter. Guess what, guys? For almost every single no hitter, at least in the last 20 years, Since there's been least, live coverage yeah. of people saying, "Hey guys, there's a no hitter going on." And guess what? They still happen. I just think that as Padre fans, we expect nothing to go our way. So we're like, <laughs> "No, no, no. Don't don't mess it up. Don't mess it up." I think we just like to blame everybody for our own sorrows. Is is really what it comes down to. But it has absolutely nothing to do with it. MLB Network has been around for what at least 10 years now yeah it's been around for a while yeah and they have the no hitter update alerts on all day every day and guess what no hitters still happen yep that did seem to hurt shamanette anyways speaking of uh no hitters yeah (laughs) yeah speaking of uh hits and no hitters um perdomo and mitchell have been absolutely murdered at the major league level however a little bit of controversy coming out of perdomo uh being optioned down i understand he has options um and mitchell doesn't which explains why they would move perdomo down but I think, Eric, um, based on what we were talking about off air and just in general over the last week, um, there seems to be a little bit of a bias towards Mitchell and in, in, in a little double standard in that Perdomo's not performing. I think Andrew Green was quoted as saying, you know, you can't pitch at that at, like that at the major league level. Uh, Brian Mitchell's been just as bad. <laughs> I mean, there's only one excuse for this, right? Andy Green's racist. Uh, <laughs> no. I had no idea that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's purely obvious what's going on here, right? There's the whole uh, Gwintelligence was talking about the, the meritocracy, right? And the best players play. Well, this isn't the case when you have Brian Mitchell, who literally has no options. And obviously, they gave up the $13 million to get Headley. Yeah. Um, to bring him along, Mitchell, in that trade. So they're not going to give up on Mitchell, and that's where I think it's bullshit. I think I think they're not going to give up on Mitchell because that's an admitting a mistake. You see Headley with three hits all year. He's starting today at first base. Well, I think Hosmer's hurt, that's why. Or he went on the family medical okay. leave, whatever. Maybe he's emotionally hurt. Who knows? Um, so that's it's clearly it's admitting a mistake if you get rid of Mitchell, and that's why they won't do it. And then part of me is like, hey, we have him for four years. Let's try to figure figure it out with him. But if you put Brian Mitchell on waivers, is anyone going to claim him? Probably not. I mean, maybe. There's no probably. probably. No. no one is going to claim him at all. No, no, and I agree with you, and I think that's exactly why. So we invested $13 million in this guy. Um, so we want to make sure that he, you know, we give him every opportunity my issue with that is you can give him every opportunity at the bullpen. You know, you can give him Jordan Lyles a spot, really. Because I would rather have Mitchell, who I but think... But Lyles has been performing. Uh, actually, he returned to uh, form the other night. Oh, did he? <laughs> Against yeah. the Diamondbacks. Yeah, he got, uh, he got shellacked back with a vengeance. But even with Lyles performing, you know, who has more upside, Lyles or Mitchell? I would rather figure it out with Mitchell, who does have good stuff. Maybe he's just a reliever. Maybe he that's all he is is just a reliever. Which is fine, considering that you paid $13 million for one year and then get the guy for cheap for the next four. My issue with sending Perdomo down is I don't disagree with that, but I disagree with the idea that, oh, you know, you got to perform better at the major league level. Now, if you want to just look at earned run average, yeah, Perdomo gets blown out of the water by Mitchell. He's about almost three full runs higher. But when you take that out of the equation and you look at just what the pitcher controls, walks, strikeouts, home runs, fielding independent pitching, your favorite stat, mm-hmm. take defense out of it. Actually, war is my favorite stat, but oh, go that's ahead. that's true. Well, this is your favorite pitching stat, I guess. Mm-hmm. But for Perdomo, fielding independent pitching, 3.82 ERA. He's just getting shut. I mean, he's getting hit hard, but they're also hitting over 500 off him with balls in play. That's not going to hold. I feel like he's leaving the ball up in the He does leave the, the ball up in the air. He does. But we know Perdomo can get the ball on the ground. He's had he's had one of the highest ground ball rates in the last two years. I think he's like number two or three on that list. Yeah, we finally got a good shortstop. And he's like, nope, n- nope decided no. not to throw down in line the zone drives, anymore. Man, Sorry. Drives, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, a, a 521 batting average on balls in play, that's not going to hold. Like, it's, it's just bad luck. It's, it's a combination of, yeah, he's getting hit hard. 
He's walking guys. Is it bad luck if he's getting barreled, though? To a point, because even if you're getting barreled, I mean, you know, look at the guys who lead the league in barrel. You know, you're not going to get a hit 500% or 50% of the time when you put the ball in play. It's Tony Gwynn didn't get a hit 50% of the time putting the ball in play. It's just not going to happen. So it is partly bad luck. He also has almost 11 strikeouts per nine. So it's not like he's, you know, awful. He's just he's running into both poor command, leaving the ball up, walking too many guys, and then just and because he's walking too many guys, he's putting too many guys on base, and he's getting bad luck on balls in play. Mitchell's fielding independent pitching, 694. He has a 286 batting average against on balls in play. He's Woof. Not, yeah, he, that is not like I looked at that thing, you know, Mitchell's not unlucky. He just can't pitch. He's a 3.2 strikeout per nine ratio. I think his walk ratio is like two or three per nine. Yikes. He's been terrible. And I know after his second start, you know, I said, you know, he looked a little bit better. Let's give him a couple shots. He's had a month. And if they want to leave him in the rotation, fine. If they just want to let him sink or swim, fine. Leave him in the rotation until May, until you bring somebody else up, until Strong comes up and you can move him in the pen. Whatever. But don't don't demote Perdomo and say it's because he's not performing when you got a guy who's just as bad. It has zero reason to believe there's upside. At least I can look at Perdomo's, you know, numbers under the surface and say, well, you know what? Fielding independent pitching, he's under four. He's got a high strikeout rate. He's getting bad luck on balls in play. It's not going to be 500 the whole year. At least I can point to that and say, you know, maybe he'll regress to a four and a half ERA. Mitchell, I have no, I have no fucking excuse for. No excuse whatsoever. His ERA, fielding independent pitching, is seven. It's seven. It's awful. It's absolutely terrible. He's not striking out guys out. He's walking too many guys. And it's not like he's getting bad luck on balls in play either. So why don't they cut him? I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's still some upside there as a reliever. There's no reason you can't try him as a reliever. Do you think if he goes in the pen, he puts on a couple a couple ticks on the on the fastball? He already throws hard. Well, I know. That's what I'm saying. If he goes in the pen and he can just kind of go all out for one inning. Yeah, why not? Or two Maybe it throws a little bit harder. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Just let her rip, I right? Mean, look, look at I mean, a lot of guys, you know, and, and people hate it when, when he said, but Keith Law's right. Relievers are failed starters. Andrew Miller was a failed starter. He was supposed to be this top prospect. He failed miserably. Now he's an elite reliever. Um, you know, Brad Hand was a failed starter. When the Marlins called him up, he was a starting pitcher. Failed miserably. Padres get him, you're going to be a long man. Oh, hey, he's actually pretty good. Now you're just going to be our high leverage reliever. It doesn't mean that Mitchell will be that, but it doesn't mean that he can't be and that there's not value there. He definitely throws hard enough. He's got a decent enough curveball and a good fastball. He's got two pitches needed. So that's fine. But move him to the bullpen if you're going to keep him. Don't per, you know? Don't demote a guy who's been you know equally as bad, but probably more on the bad luck side than the just bad side. And then say, well, you know, you got to perform better at the major league level when you got a guy who's literally the worst pitcher on your team. That includes Clayton Richard <laughs> yeah. and Jordan Lyles. Well, you know, also there's there's a crowd that's saying that like, hey, Perdomo never got the chance to develop. He so, didn't, and I think that's the other thing. And I think uh, people have pointed that out on Twitter. Sending him to El Paso is brutal, though, man. Like, it is, yeah. Send him to San Antonio, man. It is. Give it, the guy a break. It, it is brutal, but they're right. He came from single A. I was stunned he made the rotation last year. I mean, right. And I think it's because he made it off of you know good merit because he finished okay the year before. But yeah, he's never really developed. You're talking about a guy who's literally skipped pretty much every level of development outside of like rookie ball, short season, and then eight ball. He's never developed beyond that. He's basically thrown in the fire. And for his credit, he's stuck and has been at least a mediocre, you know, fringe major league pitcher. Yeah. Man, you know who really sucks, by the way? Eric Lauer. <laughs> God, oh, that guy sucks. Oh, never mind. 6-4-3. Hey, Eric Lauer's off to a great start. Oh, oh. Dog. good Lord. Headley boots the pick. Hey, Hosmer would have scooped that for sure, guy. We don't know that at all. Um, who's that second? Is that Perella? Yeah, Because that was an awful throw on a good feed. Yeah. That has got to be an error. 
Yep, that's that's our boy Perellis. Which kind of brings us into our next our next uh, our next topic here, and that's uh, Perella going to second base. So you have Franchi coming up. Franchi's making an, an immediate impact. Um, he's dude. He's barreling up the ball. He's hitting the ball. Exit velocity. That's that's. A, Launch angle and exit velocity is one that I'm down with. Yeah. I, I think that stuff is interesting. Yeah, that's good stuff. And you see Franchi's hitting the shit out of the ball, dude. Like, I feel like he's played his way into a spot. Like, we've always said, when when we were talking about the Perella versus Renfro debate, we're like, hey, if it's for Franchi, both those guys can take a hike, right? Um, so now you have Perella going to second base, which he makes an error in his first inning at second base. He got a perfect feed from Galvis. That is some of the worst footwork I've seen. I think, honest to God... I could have made a better throw. Oh, God. Here we go. Honest to God. I think I know damn well seeing you play second base, you could have made a better throw at the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that's completely irrelevant. It is. But, you know, to also to that point, both you and I have said before, stick Pearl at second base. Who cares about defense? Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> now Lauer's down 2-0 in, uh, yeah, in the first it, inning of his debut. Reap what I sell, eh? Yeah. So you see uh, Franchi out and left. We have Margot in center and Myers in right field. So this is kind of the first game where we've actually seen that. Um, what what What's your take on Franchi so far? Are you... Um, you still you high on him? You on oh, the bandwagon like everyone else? Of course. Well, I never got off the bandwagon. I know he struggled last year um, after he got around a little bit, but never got off the bandwagon. He has of their outfield options right now of guys that are close, um, and even of guys that aren't close. Really, outside of Urias and Tatis, to me, he's got the most upside potential of guys that are, you know, knocking down the doorstep or are very close within the next couple of years. Um, there's been plenty of articles about him on Fangraphs. I think only four guys have hit a ball 115 miles an hour harder. He's done it twice. Obviously, at that almost 500-foot shot in uh, Arizona, you say what you want about the humidor. Um, he hit one last night that went like 480, 490 feet or something like that into the forest in Colorado. Um, his on-base could use some work. I mean, he's hit 289 on base, but he's slugging 558. That's still good for 36% above league average um, in total. So... I like Franchi. Um, my take on him has been the same take, and it's, uh, I think, uh, Travis uh, Sawchick from Fangraphs had a chat and said he's got enough going on that even if he never really figures it out offensively, he's got enough tools across the board to be a really exciting everyday guy. You know, he's going to be the ups and downs, it's going to be a roller coaster, but yeah, honest to God, I'm benching probably Renfro or Perella to get Franchi in the lineup. Well, Perella's regressed big time, dude. If you, I mean, I talk about I, scouting the stat line, it. scouting the stat line. I, th- I think Marver's over there licking his chops, waiting. Oh, I'm sure. Waiting to take a screenshot of the slash line that Perella's been putting up because he's been awful. He has been as good as Carlos Aswai offensively. Now, and that's not saying much. No, and if you know, if you listen to this show consistently enough, you'll know neither of us are particularly high on Aswai. Sorry, Liddy. Yeah, sorry, Liddy. We know you like him in his, uh, what do they call his eyebrows? His eyebrows. I don't know what they call him. Oh, no, they said, I thought you mentioned something on Twitter. Anyways, that's, uh, that's the, uh, the Hell's Bells podcast. Yeah, check them out. That's a wonderful name. All Women podcast. That's it's right. awesome. And they have their own stat boys, too. We need stat boys, too. Yeah, what the hell? We need stat girls. Yeah. Hey, no, they have stat curls. All right, let's move on. Let's move on before before this. But uh, uh, the answer is yes. Yeah, I'm absolutely benching Renfro and Perella, particularly Perella. You know, if we had the D8s, this wouldn't be an issue. Um, let's move on to somebody else who's been lighting the world on fire. He's out with the, uh, I guess, the old south-of-the-border hamstring issue that's been uh, running amok this weekend. But Carlos Villanueva, he leads the National League in offensive war. <laughs> 
Believe yep. it or not, and I am stunned and pleasantly surprised. What's been your take on uh, on Via, as they call him? Via Nueva, dude. I'm really happy about it. And the best thing about him going off like that is that he is getting uh, plate appearances away from Chase Headley. Yeah, you know, and, and and credit to Andy Green, they pulled the plug on Headley. Pretty quick. And by the way, <laughs> I'm looking it up here just to verify because I heard you say it. And I'm like, am I crazy? It's Christian Villanueva, ladies and gentlemen. As, Carl, as Danny oh, calls him, me. Carlos Villanueva. Christian Villanueva. You know what it is? They so had that, racist. Oh, yeah. They had that other Mexican guy that was Villanueva, but he pitched. That's right. Christian Villanueva, excuse me. <laughs> His name Villanueva. wasn't Carlos either. Yeah, well, he got a pitcher named Carlos Villanueva. Oh, did we? Whatever. Yeah, he was a long reliever. He got racked. I'll, I'll tell you about him this later. This is great. This is why we come in fourth place on the Top Padre podcast. I don't care about that <laughs> crap. We all know why those podcast polls are made. Yeah, and it's not true. to rank us. Um, Christian. <laughs> yeah. Christian. Christian Villanueva. Lighting the world on fire. En fuego. En fuego. Love yeah. me some Christian Villanueva. He, he is, there's a really good article on him on Fangraphs that uh, kind of detailed his uh, his rise to uh, to prominence, as you know, to relevancy actually, because he was pretty irrelevant previously. But you know, he's picked up by, uh, by the Rangers organization, and they moved him to the Cubs in the Ryan Dempster deal. And he was behind uh, Chris Bryant. He was Carlos Bryant. Carlos <laughs> Christian Bryant. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Bryantes. Yeah. Um, but no, that he had a pretty good year. He was a top 100 prospect. When they mentioned he was number 100 on that list, so <laughs> very borderline. Yeah. Um, and then of course Bryant got drafted. He didn't have a good year. Um, he broke his leg. He got released. And the Potters signed him 10 days after he got released last year. And He's come up and is just absolutely raked. Now, we know it's not going to hold. It's exciting. Clearly not. He's not going to hit over 440 on balls and plays. It's not going to happen. They also mentioned that he's he's swinging at a lot a lot more. Like He's never been a walks guy but, or a huge play discipline guy, but he's swinging through a lot of curveballs, um, whereas the fastballs and changeups are the ones he's hammering. Um, but it's exciting nonetheless because, worst case scenario, maybe he's just that fringe average regular. He's the Solarte that we had. You know, He's a fringe average regular. Plug him in at a couple positions. He's not awful. Uh, so far, he grades, you know, average at de- uh, defense. So, you know, if he keeps it up. Uh, even he's if- looked bad, though. Eye test, doing the old eye test. He's looked bad It's just because he's got a bad body. He has a really bad baseball body. Yeah. It, it looks like the diet isn't quite there. <laughs> just, just a little bit. But even if, even if you shave 100 points off all of his numbers right now, I need to have to shave a lot more off the slugging, I think he's still going to grade out as at least an everyday regular fringe but an everyday regular for now. But he's really interesting to see him hit this way because he, other than the home run he hit the other night in uh, Phoenix, he's uh, hooking everything. Yeah. Like Gary Sheffield like hooking where ball's outside and he's still hooking breaking balls outside or off speed outside in the left field for bombs. Dude, when he connects, it looks so awesome. When when he connects and then he kind of like sticks his gut out. Yeah, he like <laughs> leans back. He sticks out the old panza and then he does the bat flip. It's amazing. It's so great, dude. I love watching him play. For as bad as this season is going to be, he's been a bright spot for sure. But to your point about him being so well, is eventually he's going to come back. And the law of averages, he's going to come back down to earth. And I'm going to say he's going to come back. And then three weeks later when he comes back down to earth, we're going to be talking about, hey, he's been slumping. And now it's time to get him the hell out of here. And let's give Chase Headley some no. fight. No, we're not. No, I, I like the way they're using Headley right now. And I think Headley's responding. I think Headley's gone very soon. I don't think they're going to DFA him because he fills two spots. He comes or he fills three spots. He can pinch hit. He wh- fills nothing. He can play first, which he's doing now. He can fill in at third because he's better defensively. And he can come up and give you a professional at-bat off the bench. They're paying him way too much money for that, but they don't have a lot of guys who can fill in at multiple positions. Like he's basically, Villanueva can do the same thing, except you play him every day. 
Because um, Aswahe can't share a shit play anywhere other than second. Spangenberg is too short to play first. So your other backup first baseman is... Well, Myers. They're not going to move Myers to first, I don't think. Yeah, but if they have to, that's well, also... If they were going to, he'd be playing first tonight. That's kind of a concern because Hosmer's missed, what, four games? Including know. today, I think it's four games, and he's known as like the iron horse. Yeah. He's the guy that doesn't miss any time, and he's missed four games yeah, that, already. That only so happens before you sign your big league deal. After that, that iron horse bullshit goes down the toilet. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there was articles that came out that said that he's a bust, right? Oh, God. Complete hot take. Yeah. <laughs> so 21 games in, relax, let's relax. Again, he could. we could get Eric Hosmer of two years ago, the every other year Hosmer. Um, Which is, to your credit, that's what you were saying beforehand. Yeah. That, that's before real, they signed him. Here's the thing. They had, uh, I love Fangraphs, so much good stuff on there. They had the, uh, their, I forget how they, what they called it, but it's basically their obligatory, you know, fly ball revolution updated article. Guys who are uh, increasing their fly ball rates. Our good old, uh, hashtag old friend alert, Jan Hervis Salarte is increasing it. He is raking in Toronto. Yeah, he is. Uh, online message boards I frequent, uh, the Toronto uh, fan base, they are in love with Salarte. He was ours first, you bastards. <laughs> Wannabes. <laughs> Yeah. But um, America's hat. Yeah, yeah, America's hat. But on the other side of that, um, Hosmer has actually said, fuck it, and doubled up. He's got a five ball, a 5% increase in ground ball rate. <laughs> so he's hitting the ball. He said, fuck it, I'm hitting the ball on the ground more. And this is what I was talking about. When you hit the ball on the ground and you rely that much on contact, you know, you're going to go through peaks and valleys of good and bad luck. Sometimes you have good luck. Sometimes you have bad luck. Nobody's Tony Gwynn or you just said Hey, I batted 336 and my batting average on balls and plays was 341 or something ridiculous. Yeah, but days like yesterday were pretty sweet. Yeah, he, he got like on base six times. Yeah, and, and that's the two thing. for two, uh, four walks. He has the upside. And I will say, you know, he's, he struck out four times twice already. He's only done that three times in his career. But for the most part, he seems to give a pretty professional bat. His play discipline has gotten better as he's gotten older. I think for him, he just needs to hunt fastballs and hit the damn ball over the fence. Yeah. Well, he came up and he had a big home run against Jansen. He did. If you remember we need that. more of that. We need more of that. That's what he was brought. He had that stupid commercial where he hits home runs. Didn't hit a home run to that point. Yeah. We need home runs. We need Eric Cosmer to be Eric Cosmer last year. 25, 30 home runs, slugging the 480s and 490s. He's not doing that right now. And if he keeps hitting the damn ball on the ground 60% of the time, he's not going to do it. Hey, what do you think is going to happen at, at second base? I think Urias will be up by June. Cause I was going to say, how long before he comes up? Not too long. I, I, we were saying before, like, hey, the May the May 5th uh, series down in Monterey, which H.J. Preller somehow is going to throw out the first How pitch. the hell did he pull that off? <laughs> I don't know. I we were is saying, he, like, producing the next season of Narcos or something? Like, how the hell is he throwing the first pitch out of there? Does he even speak Spanish? I don't know who he sucked off for that, but he's he's throwing off the first pitch. I think maybe Portello got a hold of him. I, I doubt that. <laughs> So we were always saying, hey, he's going to come up. Uh, hell of a catch by Myers, by the way, out there in right field. Excellent route to the ball. Excellent route efficiency. Excellent, excellent catch by Will Myers out there. Right. We were saying that we thought Urias was going to be up by the May, the May, early May series in Monterey so he can make his debut in Mexico. Do you think, that, is there any chance he comes up before then? Their no. second base situation right now is dire. It it's is, dire. it is, but he's been struggling so they can justify keeping him down. Um, because no, he's, he's been hot ever since Conniff left. I told you, Conniff was, was that like a week ago. It was like a week and a half, two weeks ago. So it's been a week and a half, two weeks. I don't think they're going to bring him up yet, and, and I don't blame them because they're not going anywhere. <laughs> they're not going anywhere. They have situations to be sorted out. You but know? they're past the point to where um, if he comes up now, it's a uh, he loses a year of control, right? They're past that point for him. I think so. I'm not sure. No, I think it comes in May. It doesn't matter because to me. There's no real pressing issue. I think I think 
that Franchi is really turning heads in the organization. I think them moving um, Perella to second, they, they might run with that for a little while to get Franchi in the lineup, um, which might work itself out. But Perella hasn't been very good either. So who knows? I mean, he could be. I, I wouldn't doubt it. I just don't see it happening. I think they're going to let Perella play second base for a little while while they figure out uh, what's going to go on with Franchi. The one I'm interested in is Renfro. Renfro, yeah. Because he's getting Wally pipped again. <laughs> he is. He really is. And and that's that's what we said the whole time. Hey, if it's for Franchi, Renfro can go. I mean, it, it does kind of it, it kind of sucks. It's not really a fall from grace for Renfro though, because he was never well, he was that never he was never good. Touted. No, he was a little bit out of the draft, but then people realized, oh shit, he can't hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of power there, not not much else. No, there's but not very little discipline. Very little discipline. Awful plate selection. Very pitch bad selection. Even then, even then, he just doesn't make contact. He swings through a lot of pitches. Yeah. I feel like I, I think Renfro is done. Do you think they? Do they bump him down to El Paso? They got to get rid of an outfielder, right? They have Caesar. Well, that's what that scrub Matt Caesar is for. Because yeah. if you need to get somebody a day off, you can, if you need Margot to get a day off, you can always move Cordero to center. Yeah, that's true. So you think Caesar's gone then? I would think Caesar's the guy that that's going to be gone yeah. once uh, once all said and done. Um, in terms of Renfro, you know, it's like he's trying. He's walking seven seven percent of the time. It's a, that's a percentage and a half uh, point up from last year. So he's trying. Um, I don't know what his batting average on balls in play is. That would be interesting to see. Yeah, he's been fairly unlucky. But even then, even if you'd, you know, accumulate for the 30 points, ah, yeah, maybe just a little bit unlucky, honestly. Batting average on balls in play is about 30 points down from last year. He evens that out. All of a sudden, he's got like a 321 on base. Unfortunately for him, though, he doesn't get a chance to, to have that luck. all Eric Hosmer's fault. All Eric Hosmer's <laughs> fault. Yeah. Not Hosmer directly, just the signing of Hosmer threw a wrench into everything. Throws a wrench into Naylor, who looks like maybe he's turning a corner all of a sudden. Now we ain't got nowhere to put his big old ass. So um, very interesting to see what happens. But, yeah, I, I think you know because you can't play Cordero anywhere else. He's strictly an outfielder. Renfro's strictly an outfielder. And you only have three spots. There's no DH. I think Renfro maybe gets kept on as a platoon for Cordero and just caddies him against the tougher lefties like the Kershaws of the world. Um did you know and the Tyler Andersons of the world, the soft tossing lefties, the yeah. Lowers of the world? Cordero probably gets those starts too. I think, unfortunately, um, Renfro is probably out of a gig at this point. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. So that's something we'll be watching this week. Is there anything that you're uh, looking forward to this week before we get out of here? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing if Joey Fuego can keep it up, man. Dude, he's, he's been amazing. Been exciting, man. He has been amazing. Dude, he is. He's a front runner for rookie of the year right now. What other rookies are in the National League? I don't, I don't know of any. Know. I mean, t- yeah. to your point though about him being exciting to watch. Like this past Sunday, I even said I was sitting there on the uh, on the bench before our game started on our Sunday League Sunday chat, and I was sitting there. I was like, "Damn it!" I was like, "We're missing a Lucchese start." Yeah. Like I'm really stoked every time he takes him out to see what's going to happen. I keep expecting him to get blown up, and it just doesn't happen. He is everything he was advertised to be: funky, herky, jerky delivery, lives on the corners, moves the stuff around. Gets guys to chase. I love how after he carved up the Giants, they asked him about it. Hey, growing up in that area, he goes, I never really liked the Giants. Yeah, I was more of an Ace fan. Myself. I love that, dude. Oh, I absolutely love that. Yeah, he's pitched really well. 2-7-0 ERA. He's giving him 26 innings in, uh, let's see here, five starts. So that's good. And uh, he struck out 29, and he's only walked eight. That's awesome. 42% above league average for run prevention. Oh, he's been amazing. 9.8 strikeout rate, just under three walks per nine on the rate. Uh, he's been so good. Yeah. So good. Much better. I don't think he's going to hold it, but nonetheless, the, the, at least we have a guy who said, man, you, hey, you want to go to Petco? Let's get some $25 park-in-the-park tickets <laughs> to go watch Joey Fuego start. If we're going to lose, I would rather lose with Lucchese than 
yeah. Weaver and Chassin. Yeah. Like, and Clayton Richard, honestly, who's still here. But He's going to be here for a while. <laughs> yeah. If we're going to lose, I'd rather lose while Lauer takes his lumps and while Lucchese takes his. Lauer has an awful move to first, by the way. Yeah, so he's you know, uh, he should go to the Clayton Richard School of Pickoffs. You know what? The, the thing is with Lauer, I mean, I'm not going to get too – I've said before, I'm not going to get too high. I'm not going to get too low on this particular so start. Start-by-start start basis. Well, I mean, it's his – first of all, it's his debut. Second of all, it's Coors Field. Third of all, it's cold as shit. He has ice water in his veins, Eric. You don't understand. Yeah, you don't then, understand. Andrew Green looked me dead in the eyes and said he has ice water in his veins. <laughs> Damn it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, but the thing with Lauer, dude, you have Perella. He he fucked. He he screwed up in the first inning. Uh, two run error that he committed, or an error that led to two runs. Yeah. And then there's a play out there. Guy, guy falls rounding first. You didn't see because you have your back to TV. Guy uh, falls rounding first. There's a uh, a ball hit out to Margot, and Margot kind of slips and falls. It's a funky game, dude. So I'm not gonna hold this again. Pretty sure it was raining when the Padres were hitting a second ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So whatever happens this start, I'm not gonna base. My opinion off of Can Eric we get Lauer AC to that, close the roof at his office? Yeah. You think he's got a button to close the roof yeah, in his Corfield's office? Yeah, Corfield. seriously. Um, but yeah, I'll be, I'll be interested to see Lauer's next start to see where that's at. Um, I am interested. Lucchese's one of the only reasons I watch this team, dude. Pretty much he is the only reason. I'm not really watching for anybody. Oh, Cordero. Actually, I think Cordero's must-see. Cordero, TV. Villanueva also. Yeah. I love watching Villanueva. I know he's not going to keep it up. We are talking about that. But who cares? But I mean, I'm excited, excited for the ride, dude. Yeah, I'm excited I'm, for As it. am I. So I think that's going to about wrap it up. We do appreciate everybody. Um, I tried to put out the old Twitter question, and I uh, got very few responses, you jackasses. So next time, <laughs> we'll let... Uh, Eric, do that. You can reach us at uh, at miserable SD fan and at five point five Dan. Even though nobody nobody tweeted me today. You know, I told you beforehand that I didn't really want to do the Twitter thing. This yeah, this it was destiny. Anyway, That's what so. I get, right? I try to. Well, here's here's here's. Well, you told me after I sent the question out. Yeah. I try to take some damn initiative for once. And I get burned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You Christ. just you just show up and talk. Jesus. Um, yeah, because I knew I knew we were gonna go a little bit long with Conniff because there was a lot to go over, and we didn't do a show last week because scheduling is kind of. Uh, kind of hit or miss for Danny and I, and then getting John on. So uh, we're we're happy to be back this week. But yeah, I know I know you're running really really tight on time these days. Very tight. Dude. Yeah. I'm a busy man these days. Yeah, you, know? you got a lot going on. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at miserable. Going nowhere fast. I'm on Twitter at miserable SD fan. Danny's on Twitter at five point five Dan. Um, oh, one one more thing sure. here. Um, we were talking about this uh, last week when we we're out uh, hitting there. We want to give a special shout out to one of my childhood friends, one of my best friends growing up. Um, I don't know if he wants me to say his name or not, but well, uh, we're going to Ono Solo, who just lost his grandma last week, and uh, always a very nice woman to my brother and I and my dad growing up. Um, made the best spaghetti I've ever had, dude. It was amazing. It was. Um, uh, I don't know if it's a Samoan thing or what, but when they would make spaghetti, uh, she would always make white rice with it too, and that it was sounds amazing. amazing. It was so good, and so there is a time. Wait, wait, how did it work? Did they put the noodles like in the sauce, or was it spaghetti with like spaghetti no, sauce? Two separate dishes. They would have the white rice on the bottom, and they'd put the spaghetti on top of it. And the it was spaghetti noodles in the sauce. No, dude. Uh, just okay, the spaghetti so sauce you have your meat. plate. Yeah. Like, I don't know why it got to this point. You got your plate. You put the white rice down. Yeah. You put the spaghetti over it. The spaghetti dish, the pasta over. Yeah, that's it. And then you just eat it all as one. That sounds amazing. amazing. It was really good. And that's the thing I remember most about her. And also, um, there is a story. So um, we're sitting around. English is not her first language. um, There's Samoan. Um, So we're sitting at the table one day. It's uh, me, my brother, Sean, uh, Sai, Tolu, and um, Keely, their little brother. And Keely's sitting there, and we're, we're, she made us all pancakes for breakfast. Oh, my God. And so we're sitting there cutting the pancakes. And Keely, 
is ripping the pancakes with his hands, right? <laughs> ripping them. And she stops and she's like, Kiliona, what are you, Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Yeah, so. That's uh, great. Yeah, uh, rest in peace to her. Uh, sorry for your loss, pal. I know you listen to the show and I want to give you a shout out. So we're, we're thinking about you and uh, I make sure I scoop everything at first base just for you. Oh, man. It, yeah, it's, it's Ono Sai. I got to coach him for about a year. I coached his brother too, but. I think that was a vacuum at first base. Yeah. Don't hit it to Cy. Yeah. But yeah, thanks a lot, Cy. Again, our condolences out to you and your family. We hope everybody's holding up okay. We definitely appreciate the listening. Yes, so, sir. Bye. All right, guys. Hey, we'll check in next week. We're out of here. Thank you.